Good morning. <laughs> good morning. We're, get, we're getting there. It, it is a good morning, isn't it? Man, when you can get up and, and experience a little bit of sunshine in, in Metro Vancouver, that, that's a good day. And, and we are heading into spring now, not summer. Let's get spring first, and, and, and then we'll, we'll deal with summer. Last Sunday, Dave started us off on a new sermon series, and it's called Focus. We're, we're desiring to, to help bring focus into our lives. And he used, he had a, a video that showed the power of focusing the sun. And, and if you've ever used a magnifying glass, you know how powerful it is to, to shine the sun through that glass, and you can really do some major damage with it. I wear lenses to help me focus. If I take them off, and I won't because I, I will lose you, I, I'm blind. I, 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 I kind of see shapes out there, but I don't see who you are. And I've only lost my glasses once. And it was in winter. I was doing a winter hike, and glasses just fogged up so badly that it was easier for me to take the glasses off, hook them on the front of my jacket, and, and walk without them to have them on. I could see better without them. As I was hiking, I would check every once in a while to make sure that they're still hanging there, because I didn't want to lose them. The last part of the hike is a bit flat, and, and there were some branches hanging down because they were weighted by snow, and so I had a duck under them, and I, I got close to the end, and I looked down, and the glasses were gone. And you know what happens to your heart at that point. Like, it, it, it stops. It, 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 you freeze, and, and a prayer goes up, Lord, help me find these glasses. I remember the last place I looked, and so I thought if I worked my way back to that point, I should be able to find them. And so I did that. I made my way back, and, and now I'm without glasses, so I, I, I'm needing to get very close to the ground if I'm going to see anything. I get back to that spot. They're not anywhere on the trail. And now I'm praying a little bit harder because I'm thinking, I'm going to have to phone Doreen and tell her what happened. Because I can get off the mountain, but I'm not going to be able to drive home. She's a gracious woman. But you don't want to test it. <laughs> I prayed one more time, and, and I made my way back to, to the end, and nothing. And, and you know how in snow a little twig stick up, and, and I, I would pull one, and, and it would come up, and it wasn't my glasses. Got back to the, the end point, and I said, okay, one more time, Lord, please, please, I, I, I'm, I, I need your help here. And, and I was just down the trail a little bit, pulled one of those twigs, and it was my glasses. And, and I was ecstatic. I, I, I was overjoyed. Dream didn't need to know about this. <laughs> but I was so thankful. We need focus. We need to be able to focus our lives need focus. And so Dave began this process last Sunday to help us focus. And he gave us a set of glasses by which to come to God's Word, to the Bible, in, to help hear the story, the, the grand story of God's Word. And, and he laid it out in four parts. He says there's four parts to God's story. There's the creation, you have the fall, you have redemption, and then restoration. My task this morning is to help us understand and focus on our part 
in the story. Throughout Scripture, there is instructions given to humankind. And I'm going to look at four of these instructions. We can call them commands, commandments, directives, or simply callings. God has called everyone to these tasks. Paul's in prison, and he's writing to to new believers in the city of Ephesus. And and this is what he says to them in Ephesians 4, verse 1. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I I love how this this is written in in the message, and and it continues on. I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. Run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't, I don't want any strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. So what are we called to do? What paths are we asked to walk on? What is our focus? So let me lay out four areas of focus, four commandments or callings that that come out in Scripture. The first is God calls everyone to garden the earth. Second, God calls everyone to love him. Third, God calls everyone to love one another. And then finally, God calls everyone to make disciples. The first instruction humankind received from God is is in creation, within the creation part of the story. And I just want to read a little bit of that from Genesis chapter 1. This is the end of, of the creation story. So Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Here we discover that God assigns us the task of being regents on earth. A regent is the king's representative. He or she works on behalf of the king to do the will of the king. We've been empowered by God to reign over the earth on his behalf. Christians have been called out on this point. The environmentalists today look at the track record of the church and Christians and they say that that we have a problem here, that, that you've actually led us down a road that's caused us to abuse creation rather than tend it. Some have interpreted having dominion over as the opportunity to do what we want whenever we want to God's good creation. We have license to do anything. And I suspect that as a congregation, We live on a spectrum or or, or continuum between, uh, on the one hand, the tree hugger, ecological warrior, and then on the other hand, way, way far on the other hand, is that profane abuser of, of God's good creation. 
And it really shouldn't surprise us that, that as Christians, we, we actually have a difficult time understanding how to come to terms with what we will do as gardening the earth. We had a tough time in the late 1700s and 1800s figuring out as Christians what we would do with slavery. Why should it be any easier for us to figure out what we're going to do with God's creation? But the time isn't on our side. Answering this question, what kind of world do we want to leave the next generation, should motivate us to be a little more focused on what are the needs of the next generation, their generation, versus what are our needs at this point in time? What does it look like for us to garden the earth well for our children and our grandchildren? In Genesis 2, a much simpler picture emerges, emerges here in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. If God calls us to garden the earth, what does that look like? Act 1 in God's story is creation. Act 2 introduces the fall. And Dave talked to us about what the fall was all about last Sunday. The fall represents our desire not to be God's regents, but rather to be God-like ourselves. The result was a curse being placed upon the world, upon the land. Work would become Work would remain a blessing of God, but it too became infected by sin. You will experience painful toil in your work, God instructs or tells Adam and Eve. Verse 17 of chapter 3, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. There is resistance to work. Yes, people resist going to work, but there's a resistance in our work. The effect of the curse are widespread. We begin doing things to the environment out of greed. We abuse our resources. How we live together becomes contentious. I'm somewhat amused when someone says to me, I, I don't like playing politics. And, and here we find ourselves in the middle of a major political campaign here in B.C. Politics is a gift from God. But it too suffers the same effects as every other part of God's creation. Politics isn't bad or evil. How we do our politics can be. And in one of my summer jobs while I was going to school, it was in a pre-hung door factory, and one of the workers made this comment, and, and it stuck in my mind. He said, work is mostly knowing how to correct your mistakes. Work is mostly knowing how to correct your mistakes. If we never made errors, if we had no thorns and thistles in our labor, work would be very efficient. There would be no resistance. Despite the curse, the fall, painful toil and inefficiencies, the fact remains, work is a gift from God. If we go back to the teacher the author of Ecclesiastes, he reminds us of this, Ecclesiastes 2.24. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. And then I love how Paul in Romans 12.1 kind of sums all of this up. This is from the message. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, 
and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Work is worship. This is the beginning of our call to garden the earth. We don't worship our work, but rather through our work, we give praise, glory, and honor to God, the creator of all things. This leads us to the second of our four biblical callings. God calls everyone to love him. When I meet people for the first time, I'm always curious about what lives in behind them. Like, who, who are they? And so one of the questions I, I ask very quickly is, is what do you do? And, and that can, can create a, a, an awkward moment. We've all experienced that. You might be between jobs or not in the job you really like, and you don't want to reveal that. And, and they came across a quote that, that reminded me, it's not so much about what we do, but, but who we are. And so the quote is, man is nothing else but his thoughts and his loves. This is attributed to Augustine. Man is nothing else but his thoughts and his loves. So rather than me asking, what do you do for a living? I should be asking, what do you love? What do you love and, and how do you love it? I have a book on my shelf written by James Smith, and it's titled, You Are What You Love. You are what you love. Think about what you love. How is that shaping who you are? I've been accused of, of loving hiking a little bit too much. Smith is not so focused on you are what you love, but rather this truth. You worship what you love. Because we worship what we love, we are what we love. Our second calling is meant to bring all of life into focus, clear, sharp, direct focus. God calls everyone to love him. This calling is rooted in who God is. His whole purpose for creating the universe, creating us, humanity, was so that he could love us and we could love him. Before the fall, communion between God and Adam and Eve was effortless. After the fall, Adam and Eve hid themselves. The game of hide-and-seek between humanity and God gets played out over and over and over in the Old Testament. After rescuing the children of Israel, God tells them this. He says this in Leviticus. Let me set up my residence in your neighborhood. I won't avoid or shun you. I'll stroll through your streets. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I am God, your personal God, who rescued you from Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. Doesn't this sound like what Adam and Eve had in the garden? That, that intimate communion with God? But the game of hide-and-seek didn't end. It continued. Those who promised to love God and be faithful to him took on other lovers. The prophetic books of the Old Testament give us that story. And the end result is exile, removal of God's people from the land, but more importantly, from his presence. Hiding from God, not loving him, ends in exile. Adam and Eve experienced it. Israel did, and so do we. Fortunately, God finds us in exile. He finds us through Christ, and communion is restored. 
This is the third act of God's story, redemption. John, in his first letter, tells us this. 1 John 1, 3. We saw it. And, and he's saying, like, lit, like, I was there. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our redemption was accomplished on the cross. Our love for God is in response to His love for us. 1 John 4, 19. We love because He first loved us. Remember, we are, you are what you love. But more importantly, you worship what you love. And our second calling is to love God. We can't talk about the second commandment without talking about the third. God calls everyone to love one another. And so if we continue on in 1 John 4, where in verse 19 he talks about God's love for us, we wind up at the third command. And so we love because he first loved us. And then verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love his brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Our lives rub up against people every day of the week. These are opportunities for us to show love in very practical ways. Jesus noted that love would be that critical characteristic that would set apart his people from all others. We would be a witness to the world because of how we loved each other. Luke, John 13. Let me give you a new command, Jesus said. Love one another. In the same way that I loved you, love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. The church, the body of Christ, we who are gathered here today are called to love one another. And one of the very practical practical ways of doing this is through church attendance. I've never, ever spoken about church attendance. Like, my job is to make sure that these chairs are full. And when I don't do that very well, you know, people start asking questions. And so I, I, I don't want to make that a burden on you. And so you need to hear this. I'm speaking to myself here very much. And so when I look around, I sometimes, oh man, I haven't seen those people. And there's often very good reasons why people aren't able to get here to church on a Sunday morning. But somehow, we've, we've created this idea that Sunday morning attendance, worshiping together, isn't part of discipleship. It isn't part of following Jesus. It's one of those things that, that we can opt in and out of, whether or not, we, as we please. Like it came across an article which made this very bold statement. It, it caught me off guard. And the article said this, the first sin of skipping church is the sin of failing to love others. I've never thought of it that way. Now, we all have legitimate reasons for not being here. Like, I'm looking around trying to find Zach and Natalie here this morning. <laughs> now, now, 
Natalie's water broke early this morning, and so they, they, they have a good reason to not be here. So pray. We, we actually have a, a commitment to be somewhere else the rest of this weekend and into Tuesday, so pray this baby comes quickly. <laughs> the first sin of skipping church is the sin of failing to love others. Hebrews 10 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now whenever I've read that, those verses, I've, I've interpreted them personally, very individualistically. And so this is what I hear the writer saying. If I give up going to church, skipping meeting together with other believers, I pull my ember out of the fire, and you know what happens to an ember that's left on its own? I'm in jeopardy. Like, my, my faith will wane. And, and that's all true, but that's not the point that's being made here. The main point is that we put the body at risk when we fail to show up when the church gathers together. Gathering together is as much about me being a blessing as being blessed. I can't encourage you if I'm not here. But what about social media, you say? Well, that works a little bit, but there's nothing more powerful than, than that human face-to-face -face contact that builds us up and helps us being a disciple of Christ. When I skip church, I fail to fulfill God's third call upon my life to love one another. The fourth and final call that I want to look at is God calls everyone to make disciples. In the previous commandment, we looked at being a follower of Jesus is being a disciple of Jesus. And the whole point of disciple-making is to rescue people from exile. If God's story in the Bible is a story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, our call to make disciples is critical. The last instructions that Jesus gives in, in the Gospel of Matthew are these. Jesus says, I've given... I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all, this, all the commandments I've given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We've called this the Great Commission. This is our fourth calling. God calls everyone to make disciples. Our mission here at South Langley Church is to help people know and follow Jesus. This is disciple-making. This is what we're about. This includes witnessing, evangelizing, teaching, equipping, and, and much, much more. The motivation is love. Because of God's love, which brought us out of exile, we desire that everyone should have that same opportunity. Hearing stories of people that have moved from exile into freedom should inspire us to this task of making disciples. 
Randy Friesen, the executive director of MB Mission, he loves telling how God works in people's lives around the world, and, and his stories are inspirational, and this is the one that he posted in, in April. He talks about a man named Safari who came to a refugee camp in Malawi, which is a landlocked country in Southeast Africa. His name, Safari, matches his story. His journey from Congo began with his family being killed in ethnic conflict. After spending years in refugee camps in Uganda, Burundi, and finally Malawi, Safari found his home in God. He planted a church in the refugee camp with his wife, and, and they opened up their home to orphans and newcomers. And one day, he brought in a refugee, a destitute refugee, and he discovered that this was the man responsible for killing his family back in Congo. Safari forgave him, led him to Christ, and for three years the man lived with Safari. Today the man is one of the pastors on staff of Safari in a growing network of churches both inside the refugee camp and outside. Though he had, has had opportunity to immigrate to the U.S. and Australia, Safari is refused because he says he has found his inheritance in Malawi. Randy goes on to say, Stories like this are why we need each other in the global family. They inspire us to remain faithful on mission together, helping people know and follow Jesus. God calls everyone to make disciples. This all begins and ends with God. Eugene Peterson makes this point when he writes, I want to simplify your lives. When others are telling you to read more, I want to tell you to read less. When others are telling you to do more, I want to tell you to do less. The world does not need more of you. It needs more of God. Your friends don't need more of you. They need more of God. And you don't need more of you. You need more of God. For we do not progress, progress in Christian life by becoming more competent, more knowledgeable, more virtuous, or more energetic. We do not advance in the Christ life by acquiring expertise. Each day, and many times each day, we need more of God. Having more of God will push us into our four commandments, our callings. God calls everyone to garden the earth. He calls everyone to love him. He calls everyone to love one another. And he calls everyone to make disciples. Amen. can stand and uh, just join us as we sing our closing